All right, welcome into episode 52 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Alongside Jamie Eisner, Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Gentlemen, we've, we've done it. We've done 52 episodes. That's a year's worth of episodes, and we did it in a year. Unlike some podcasts where you just, you know, that spreads out over like two years, three years. We actually did it. I'm not really getting the vibe from you guys that that's as big of an accomplishment to either of you as it is to me. I'm but sorry, I'm, what were you I'm saying? Excited. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm also shocked we're all just still here. Don't, don't let me interrupt, Craig. Go back to whatever you were doing over there, reading something. Yeah. Uh, the World Cup is here. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and it's gone for the U.S. Wait, milk, strawberries. Hang on a second. Hmm. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> Go ahead. Why don't you just let us do the show over here? And okay. We'll, we'll stop talking in your personal space. All right. Well, look. MySpace. Uh, Does that still exist? Yeah. Is MySpace still around? Justin Timberlake. Really? Yeah. It. It's like now like starving musicians are releasing albums and stuff on there. Space.com. That's what it's called now. It's very long. Sad. Anyway. Sad. I like Justin Timberlake, but that's, that's well, kind of sad. You don't need to feel bad for Justin Timberlake. No, I, don't I, feel I think bad he's doing okay. I think okay. This, the fact that MySpace is still around is sad. What about Napster? Is that still around? Friendster? Go further. <laughs> AOL? You've got mail. Dialogue. I always hear that when I'm sitting next to Jerry Brown in the in the. Uh, Every once in a while, he still has it. He still has AOL mail. <laughs> the only one in the world. Only one in the world. Although every once in a while here in the office, we'll get a referral from like Ask Jeeves, and then oh yeah, I remember that. Do you think AOL is upset that they have to keep their platform open because Jerry's still using their oh, email? Like, that one guy up. in Arizona is still How using old is he? it. Actually, we have somebody in the office that is in his 20s that uses an AOL email. He really? gets made fun of Is it constantly. his? Or did he, like, No, it's his. It? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, you should make fun of him constantly. Let's like, go. Who, who, like, whose first choice is AOL email? Maybe every other email address everywhere else in the world was taken, and he had no choice. Did you think about that, Jamie? I did not. Okay. Well, There's maybe. as much thinking about it as he did when he signed up for an AOL email address. All right. I can tell by your enthusiasm to talk about the World Cup of Hockey that Woo-hoo. this is going to be a fun segment. But I, I will say this. I know Jamie wasn't super excited. I guess Craig wasn't either for this event. I wasn't, like, through the roof excited about it, but uh, I'm even less excited about it now because it's all anyone's talking about. Like, nobody's even talking about the NHL. Like, the NHL Network, hey, Craig, I made this, to you, this point to you last night before the, uh, the Coyotes rookie game. You wouldn't even realize that training camp was starting if you just landed on this planet and turned on the NHL Network. They have a ton of programming. It's 24 hours of World Cup hockey. And, by the way... The event has been extremely disappointing outside of Team North America, which is absolutely 100% must-watch television. It's almost, and Team Europe. Yeah, yeah no, Europe, give it up for Team Europe. Surprise, yeah. They might be the best story of the tournament. They're going to the semifinals. 33-1 to 1 odds they're going to the semifinals. Well, yeah, let me just let me rephrase that. From an American's perspective, there hasn't been a whole lot to watch. It's almost but like they're, they're playing a tournament that has nothing to play but, for. Yeah, America didn't care about it in the first place. That's, sure doesn't that's look the thing, like it. Is a, it's a money grab. We all know it's a money grab. They care about it in Canada. They're playing it up in Canada. The NHL's playing it up on its network, on its site, but mm, nobody else really cares. Well, I see now, after Enthusi- watching it... Enthusiasm. See, every t- we, need, we need audio clips on this show. We need to introduce that. Because when I hear that word, I think of De Niro in... Oh, you want say, every audio clip available with just the touch of a finger? Yeah. Just everything from any movie ever? Untouchables. Okay. Enthusiasms. <laughs> Enthusiasms. With, with an S at the end. Uh, Mine, baseball. You remember this scene? See, we, we could have this on. Go ahead. Just reenact it. I just want you to reenact it the whole yeah. time. That, that, that's, now, our pot. that's episode 53. I'm just going to start playing it while you talk when you call it up. Yeah, now play Kevin Costner and whoever else is in that movie. I don't remember. Um, 
We have to talk about the U.S. though, because mm. you mm. you're saying that that nobody cared. I feel like seven of the eight teams cared, and I feel like the U.S. I don't know. And, and we talked to Rick Olchek last week, who of course is the assistant GM of, of Team Europe, and it did certainly seem like they were being disrespected quite a bit going into this tournament, considering the the fact that they actually took their best players from their pool as opposed to just guys that would fit some secret system that would win a Grit. very competitive minor Grit league game is going to win. That's what's going to get it done. It works so well in Columbus. Yeah. So I feel like everybody else took it seriously, and the U.S. just expected to win the first game, and they were they built their team to slow down Sidney Crosby, which is not a way to win a tournament. And, oh, by the way, they didn't slow down Canada at all. So they're going to get run right out of this tournament. They're already out as we record this. They still have a game against the Czechs. I, do you expect them to win that one? It doesn't matter at this no, point. No, but Yeah. I do expect them to beat that team. I don't think that team is very good either. They if they lose that, they go in three. I would say, oh my gosh, it's it's a it, it feels terrible for USA hockey. But again, nobody cares about this tournament. So in in a couple of weeks, it'll all be brushed under the rug, and everybody will realize, yeah, we probably should have chosen a different coach for this team, and we probably should have constructed this roster far differently than we did. I, Jamie's the one that made the point the best, I think, through this whole thing. Look, I, I will make this point that the the no, no, no. Give me my credit. First. No, I've already moved on. The the event that, that bothers sports fans the God, most. I admire you, Jamie. Or, or, or at least bothers me the most as, as an observer of sports isn't when your team makes a trade or your team does something that doesn't work. But, you know, they're trying. They were doing their best, whatever. They, they made a, a, an honest effort at it. It just didn't work out. What bothers me the most is when the team you're, you're rooting for or paying attention to does something that you know isn't going to work, and everybody says it isn't going to work, and they just try to ram it down your throat that it's going to work, and then this happens. We were all upset about Team USA's roster when it was released, not after they lost to Canada. There's no shame in losing to Canada in this tournament. Craig, like you said, it clearly means a lot more to Canada to win this than it did to the U.S., but if they go 0-3, or even if they go 1-2, and it doesn't really matter. They might almost be better off going 0-3, they got to rethink this. And this is the point that Jamie made. This is an all-star tournament. You're not building a team of third and fourth liners to have the best fourth line. Nobody cares about your fourth line. Canada's fourth line is better than the first line the U.S. put out there, and it didn't have to be that way. That was your point, Jamie? Yeah, and then it goes back to even the Olympics uh, and what Team Canada tries to do certain times. Yes. You build strong third and fourth lines in the NHL because there's not enough talent to go around to build four lines of all-stars. You take the best players available because when they're on the ice, whether they're on the ice as your fourth line or their first line, whatever it is, you want to score. You want the best opportunities to score and to prevent them from scoring. Best way to prevent somebody from scoring is to have the puck. Best way to have the puck is to have better players. Oh, and look, the U.S. can't score. What a shocking Shocking. turn of events. Shut out by Team Europe, which... As Craig said, much respect to them to getting to the semifinals. I kind of hope they win the whole thing, honestly, at this point. I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked that they beat the U.S. It's it's one game, and they have offensive firepower. That's a talented team. Yeah, but they did the a good US, job trapping, too. They did. I they mean, did. You saw the system they play that, that works on the international stage. Yeah, they had a great game plan for defending the U.S. And the U.S. got shut out. I mean, that to, to Jamie's point— And they sat Dustin Bufflin. Yeah, that was a good move, too. Yeah. The, I, by the way— Team Europe expected him to play. They were planning for him, game planning for him, concerned about him, Why the impact that he would have on their lineup, and that he wasn't in the lineup. Ah, see, that's how you swerve them. You sit your best players because <laughs> they were expecting that. You sit your best players that you took. I hold in my hands a list that we made at the game last night. This is awesome. It was just off the top of my head. I, just, I went through and I looked at the American players 
just in the scoring race last year, because we all know Phil Kessel led the U.S. Uh, in goal scoring at the last Olympics. And the bigger picture for me is what happens if the NHL does go to the Olympics in two years. I'd prefer the U.S. tried to win this time. Phil Kessel led not just the U.S. in goals. That's going to be, everybody. by the way, that's going to be fun, watching the battle between the players' union and the league about who gets to go to the Olympics and who doesn't. Well, yeah, and then it's just... Hey, they don't need the Olympics anymore. We've got the World Cup of Hockey. Oh, well, yeah. Even the next World Cup, I'd prefer the U.S. put their best lineup out there. Or at least, yeah, try to put their best lineup out there. Should also, read... Phil Kessel leads the Americans in flame emoji Twitter tweets mm. per 60. It's a new advanced you step. bring that up? Do you want me to read the, uh, oh, the, the, the tweet before the Craig, Craig's in the dark on this one. Okay. The tweet from Phil Kessel, and Jamie, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this came out right at the start of the game last night. So it's not even after the U.S. lost. It's as I, the game was I starting. first saw it late in the third, but I don't know when it oh, actually okay. was tweeted. It doesn't really matter. Phil Kessel, who obviously should be on this team, basically just nearly won the Conn Smythe, what, three months ago, and, as I said, led every player in the Olympics in goals last time around. Not the U.S., every player. The tweet from Phil Kessel, just sitting around the house tonight with my dog, felt like I should be doing something important, but can't put my finger on it. (laughs) Awesome. Pretty fantastic, I think. So, yes, Phil Kessel should be on the team, but here's a list of some other ones. And, look, I didn't double-check. Maybe one of these guys is, is 23, and so he wouldn't have been eligible but here's, here's just oh, yeah, some by the way, players. That's the big thing, too. Now everyone's, oh, well, the U.S. was at a disadvantage because they couldn't bring their young players. Yeah, that's the problem. You knew the rules ahead of time. You also didn't bring a lot of your good players. Here's some players you could have brought, especially if you can't score goals. Phil Kessel, Kyle Oposa, Tyler Johnson, Bobby Ryan, Cam Atkinson's one, and he might be 20. I think he's 24, actually. I think he could have played. Paul Stastny, Craig Smith, Nick Foligno, Jason Pominville, Brock Nelson, Chris Kreider, Nick Bukestad. That's, just, that's 12 forwards. I'm not saying they all should have been on the team. But I'm pretty sure you could fit about four of them on there. Especially Atkinson's the first 27, four. so you're good. Oh, yeah. he's way good. Defense, Keith Yandel. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk's decent at moving the puck. <laughs> yeah. Justin Falk, Alex Goligoski, Tori Krug, Nick Letty. That, if you just put those players together, you'd have a second Team USA. And honestly... That probably beats the current Team USA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'd be hurting a net because they took, they took the best goalies. And they took good players, but... Why didn't Corey Schneider get the play? Any question you ask me about how they ran this team, I can't answer. That's that's like, like yeah, is that's Jonathan Quick that much. I mean, he is really revered in NHL circles, player circles. It, it's it's interesting because when you dive into the numbers, and this is the analytics versus eyeballs, and and, and more than eyeballs, experience, right? Playing yeah. against this guy, there are a lot of players you talk to who believe that he is an elite goaltender, a great goaltender. The numbers don't bear that out, you know, most of the – I think a, a lot of times maybe he's living off that playoff run that he had and people remember what he did then. But, yeah, in, in my opinion – I don't think Quick's bad. I just no, feel no, like no. the goalies were – Corey Schneider was fantastic last year. Yeah. No, we saw the goaltending wasn't the issue, though. Huh? I, don't, I don't feel like the goaltending no, was no, the it issue. No, it wasn't, but, but it's one pile. of many questions that you ask about the decision-making decision of this, this team, this, yeah. this management team, this coaching staff. What were they thinking? Please let us in on it because none of us get it. I'm not going to specifically bring up any names that were on the roster because obviously these guys are all great players, but, yeah, it's an all-star tournament. The other teams brought their best players. The U.S., uh, honestly, they just outthought themselves, and they really decided, like, in this specific situation when Canada has a power play against us in the the finals, this is how we're going to slow down Crosby. How about you just bring your best players? And of the guys I just rattled off, how, how do you justify Phil Kessel, Tyler Johnson, Bobby Ryan, Kyle Oposo, and then either Shattenkirk or Yandel to move the puck up the ice from the blue line, which they couldn't do? How do you justify at least three or four of them not being on this it, team? It's, it's ludicrous. 
I, I don't know why teams feel like they have to build these rosters based on how they build NHL rosters. No, I thought you were blaming Ludacris, the rapper. I was, I was thinking Luda. of another audio clip. Uh, yeah. I've had three already in my head, and I couldn't do anything about it. This is why you don't produce the show. It is Ludacris. Apparently nobody does. And Jamie's... <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I didn't see that bus I just got thrown under. <laughs> Craig's stealthy with that stuff. Woo. Yes. Construct the roster better. Speaking of great tweets that neither of you saw, (laughs) that is now since deleted. Uh, Josh Pauls, who is a defenseman for the U.S. Sled Hockey team. No, I haven't seen this one yet. Tweeted this out right after the game. Since deleted and apologized, which, by the way, he should not have apologized for. He did nothing wrong. Said, really glad I was born without legs. The U.S. Sled team has a much better track record of success than the U.S. stand-up men's team. Wow. Wow. That's intense. That is intense. I, I don't even know how to react to that. That, one. that one's a lot more intense than Kessel's tweet. Look, the, the bottom line is the U.S. wasn't favored to win this, and sometimes stuff. You know, like I said, there's three games that you're guaranteed, and it's not inconceivable that yeah, you're going to lose to Canada probably. It's not inconceivable that Team Europe sneaks up on you, or maybe even the Czechs, and then and you don't win the whole thing, you know, or you you get into the. The, the semifinals, but you can't beat Sweden. That's a great team. Or Russia or North America, they surprise you or whoever. I mean, anybody from that other group. It's not inconceivable you don't win this thing. That's not sure, the embarrassment. but you should get to the semifinals. You should win a game. You're, you're supposed to be one of the four best teams in the world, right? How about you lead at some point in the tournament? Just, just have a lead. Yeah, look competitive. Because it's frustrating, and you can hear it in, in a tweet like that, or certainly any, anybody who hashtagged Team USA on Twitter last night, just random fans, the gap between Canada and the U.S. in hockey is not that big anymore. It just isn't, but it sure looks like it right now. I don't. It might not seem that way, but if you look at the, every international tournament, those two have played against each other. Well, it's, it it's certainly still, looks that way. It still leans toward Canada, obviously. I mean, Canada is definitely better. Heavily, but when they come head to head, Canada has won pretty much any game of significance, except for the except for the time when Ryan in the last six or so years, except for the time when Ryan Miller just lost his mind. Yeah, but I'm just saying more just in general, American players across the NHL, Canadian players across the NHL, not not how the you know Hockey Canada and Team USA build their teams. But that goes back teams. to roster construction as we're talking yeah. about. You, you have enough talented players to compete, but they're just, they want to construct a team that can grind out a two-to-one game against Columbus on a Thursday in Ohio, and that's, that's not what you're trying to do. Thursday in Ohio, that paints a very exciting picture. I just, it, it's... Uh, it's just frustrating. It, it, yes, Canada is better than the U.S. at hockey. Nobody's disputing that collectively. But 30 years ago, Canada was much better than the U.S. at hockey. Now you go to the World Junior Championships, and the U.S. wins just as much as Canada. That's And so does Sweden, and so does Finland. And yet you get to these tournaments, and the U.S. just isn't there. It's almost like they made a mistake with the, who they picked as a coach. I can't yeah, believe who could have seen this coming. Of all the places to get a mulligan, though, this is the place to get it, right? Yeah, because well, it doesn't I mean, ultimately, from it. Let's not let this happen for the Olympics, assuming they go. This, you know what this feels like? This feels like your football team goes 0-4 in the preseason. That's what this feels like. Where ultimately it means nothing. I feel like it but means But it's just more enough to that. concern you a little bit. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, it means nothing. Well, but, but if it means something to the other countries, then it should mean something to you. It's, it it's not quite preseason. The only thing it's that concerns me that. about this is how USA Hockey got to the point where these were the decisions they made. These were the people they put in charge, and these are the decisions that they made. That's concerning to me. It concerns me for the Olympics or even the next Hopefully World they Cup. Their lesson, right? Well, yeah, because if, if we're not going to have the Olympics anymore, if that's that's <laughs> if that's legit, yeah, if, yeah. if the NHL players are going to be there, international hockey matters to NHL players. Alex Ovechkin will be there. Yes, yeah, he will. Be and there. I don't think he's going to be the only one either. Uh, it's if if 
if the Olympics are going to be a part of, of the NHL's uh, system or whatever, then the World Cup does matter more to me. And so I would like well, to see we'll, the U.S. We'll see. compete. How, how much money do you think the NHL is going to take back from the players to let them go to the Olympics? The next CBA? A, a lot. A, a, a decent amount. I don't want to talk about the next CBA. Well, hey, look at the bright side, though. Everybody stood for the anthem. Luke's making himself feel better over here by injuring himself. Yeah, I yeah. just I got Any injured shins. talking about the World Cup, so <laughs> put me on the list with the players that are going to miss. And, and yeah, what about Tyler Sagan now? And Aaron Ekblad, we didn't even talk about that with the uh, concussion. I'm sure Florida's real excited about that. So anything else on the World Cup? Team North America, you got to watch them. That's, I, I'm just hoping that they advance simply so I can watch them play. And I, Team Europe, it's just a good story. Wouldn't that be a great yeah. final? Oh, can you imagine if you had no nations in the final? The two teams that were just kind of thrown together. And as Frank Saravelli pointed out, Seven Nation Army was the anthem. Yeah, do you want to give us the Saravelli story now? Uh, I don't know. Well, you it, looked for it. You, the, <laughs> the game you story, the, the story wrote off of the U.S.-Europe game was... Certainly not flattering to Team USA, but it, it shouldn't have been. But it, it really was like a backhanded compliment to Europe, too. A, a team with no identity <laughs> that chose Seven Nation Army as, as its anthem. None of that was within their control. What, what are they going to do? Win. But to, yeah. But to say that they have nothing to rally around or, or, or no identity is absurd. They do. These guys are professionals, and they care a lot. Also, especially when everybody tells them how bad they are. Yeah, they have and that to rally. Trust me, that is firing this team up. That is their rallying yeah, cry right now. Shoulder. And it's a – you know what else I was thinking about? When, when we talk they're, – they're good and bad sides to nationalism. It, it's great to rally around your country. It feels good when they win, et cetera. But that creates a lot of bad stuff, too. Yeah. We tend to get myopic. We, we – you know, hate the other. This is several nations coming together, and, and, and several nations that nobody expected to have any success. As I mentioned earlier, they were 33-1 to 1 odds to win this tournament. And several nations in this country that nobody could find on a map. Right. They have come together. They have found a common rallying point, and they're in the semifinals of this tournament. That's a nice lesson to me. That's, that's a world lesson. That's a humanity lesson. They've all come together, found a common purpose, and they're succeeding. Cool story. Quick update, Phil Kessel just tweeted something out as we More? were talking. It's uh, us? Penguin season ticket delivery day. He's holding the Stanley Cup at somebody's house. I, I didn't know if he was going to follow up on his tweet, but yeah. Uh, I, I, it, is, it is the best story. Team North America is the most fun team to watch. You've got Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews on the same line, and they look like they've played together forever. Uh, but yeah, Team Europe winning the whole thing would be really great theater. for. I think it would actually be good for the World Cup because – yeah, they were just thrown together. It's like okay, Anze, we've we've seen Slovenia play in the Olympics, and it just seems like it's you carrying that team. So here, you're just thrown on a team with a bunch of other guys, and they act like none of these guys know each other. They all play in the NHL together. Yeah, well, they know each other. Hockey players. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> so it, it might be great for hockey. I'm not sure if it would be well attended. It doesn't seem like the non-Canada games are drawing, which is interesting well. to me because <laughs> yeah. uh, for hockey fans, as I remember, uh, every time they hold the World Juniors in Europe. Uh, Canadian hockey fans get very salty about how empty those stadiums are. Well, where were they at any of these games? That's a fair rhetorical question. I mean, I think Wyshynski pointed out, like, oh, wow, you you can get two tickets for 10 bucks on the resale market. You know, when it's World Junior Championships in Finland or Sweden, they're they're very quick to point out, oh, wow, you know, if they were in Canada, they would be full. Where where are you, Canada? Calling out a nation. At least Toronto. Normally he just calls out like one team or one GM or one city, but now it's just going for entire Added nations. to my list. Yeah. Canada. <laughs> it's pretty much everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right. Double down on Edmonton. And- 
Do we have any other random notes we want to hit here before we get to the uh, New York Islanders, the first of our three team previews for today? Nothing major. Dimitri Orlov about to sign a one-year deal with the Caps. Maybe has while we're on the show, but some of these some of these uh, free agents are finally coming under contract. There are plenty of RFAs out there still, including the Coyotes' Tobias Reeder, who will be playing for Team Europe in the semifinals this weekend, still without a contract. Yeah, and, and kind of <laughs> sad news. David Clarkson didn't pass his physicals. Not going to start camp. We've probably seen the last of David Clarkson. Hmm. At least on the on ice role, maybe yeah, he. From what I understand, he's well liked in that locker room. Maybe he takes an advisory role or something with uh, with the Blue Jackets. But probably the the end of David Clarkson on ice. Did you guys see the rumor of Michelle Therrien calling Max Pacioretty the worst captain in Montreal Canadiens history? Patches. Patches. Another audio clip comes to mind. Yeah. I, I um, actually it was just Jamie speaking. Yeah, probably. Started here. Yeah. Yeah. Can Montreal. You do that voice again. <laughs> Can we get audio clips of Jamie from two weeks ago? Because that, that's really all this yeah, show needs. Give us the voice. I can't even remember what the I did. The clown voice? Thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining us. No, it's, there it is. Or I think it was like, thanks for listening. Or... Yes. Thanks for calling. I'm so glad you called in. That's what you said. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, that was, on our, that was on our pre-show. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. It was so you creepy. You could splice that in. It doesn't matter if it That'd was... Be an audio clip. ...on air or not. It was still creepy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's Montreal. That's the media up there is going to run with that. But it does kind of underline the bigger dysfunctional issue that seems to surround the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, I thought they solved all that. Oh, yeah. They got rid of PK. Yeah. They got, they they got, got rid of their best player. The best players on their team. Huh. Other than Price. Shocking. If I don't say other than Price, a bunch of Montreal fans are going to tweet into the show and be like, you're dumb. Carey Price is amazing. All right, want to talk about the Islanders? Sure. Okay. Well, they're a team. Mm-hmm. It's a good call by you. Nothing gets past you, Mr. <laughs> Lipinski. <laughs> they, uh, we're going to do three, three potential playoff teams this week, so that's, that's exciting for us. We are talking about the NHL, right? Yes. So who do we rule out of potential playoff teams? Edmonton. The teams we talked about As earlier. As Jamie would say, Canada. Canada. <laughs> Montreal is making the playoffs. Maybe. I'm standing Maybe. by that. Maybe. Yes. If, if Shea Weber and Pacioretty and Terry don't like, just kill, all kill each other at the same time at center ice. Like the end of Reservoir Dogs? <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, okay. So the Islanders. Uh, where do you guys want to start here? May as well start in net. Because we don't know. Yaroslav Halak looks decent in the World Cup, but um, last year was definitely a down year for him. Had the injury. Thomas Grice stepped in. Thomas Grice was starting playoff games and didn't Grice. look bad. I always say his name like that. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's <laughs> taking us back to Coyote locker room days when Thomas was here. He was started great. every quote with, ah! <laughs> Happiest guy in the world. Or at least he seemed like it. Yeah, he did. And, and a pretty good goalie. I mean, legitimately could be the yeah. Islanders. He never seemed like he had a care in the world, did he? No. Which I think is what you want from your goalie, right? You don't want your goalie wound really? so tight that he can't, like... Probably want him to care about stopping the puck. But... Well, but he does care when he's on the ice. He just didn't seem like it off the ice. Very laid-back individual. So that answers my question about the Islanders' goalies. <laughs> they're, they're fine. All right, well, thanks, guys. Anybody else have any questions? Any just, more uh, questions you want to answer? How do they... By yourself? How do they, much... Hopefully, they do a better job than Team USA did of this, replace Kyle Oposo up front? Because that's a pretty productive player that, uh, yes, he was... Probably saw a boost in his production from playing alongside John Tavares for a lot of his career up to this point. But he's off to Buffalo, and that's, that's a good goal-scoring forward. Yeah, and I think this is the part where... I think people lend too much credence to, well, you play with John Tavares. That's the only reason why he's good. Yeah, that's not how we got There are to the plenty NHL. of good players that have played with good centers who underperform. So you have to have some talent. It's not all, does it help? Certainly. But I, I don't I think it's going to be super easy to replace him. I mean, I know they brought in Andrew Ladd, but he's a completely different type of player. So I, 
I just I look at that team, and I just I don't know. Like they have pieces you like. They have John Tavares at the top, which is good. I mean, he. I think Craig said. Uh, I don't know if this is on the air, or off the air, but he'd have right under the the elite group of centers we were talking about. It's off the air. We try and do our best stuff off the air. But you know, and, and we'll talk a little bit later about where we put elite centers in the league. But it doesn't really feel like that team is all that special. Like they're fine. It feels like a wild card team to me. Potential playoff team, as you said. I'm not inspired so, by this team. I don't yeah. look at that roster and go, yeah, you know what, the, the upside there is You mentioned great. Andrew Ladd, too. What, what's up with that signing, by the way? I don't, I don't mind adding Andrew Ladd, but, man, until 2023? If you're going to ask questions like that, can you do it in the Seinfeld voice? What's the deal with what signing Andrew deal? Ladd? When does Rick DiPietro's contract buyout expire? 2048. <laughs> uh, you're, you're probably not that far off. <laughs> no, 5.5 million cap number until 2023 for Andrew Ladd. Rick DiPietro's mm. contract expires in 2029. Sorry, that's an actual stat. It just popped up. I, 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 I won't understand DiPietro. why some general managers won't get out of their own way with those types of deals. <laughs> those nev- they never work out. And that's not the player that you know. It's not a player that you say, you know what, we'll deal with the back half of that contract because he's going to be so good for us right now. It's a, it's a, he's a good player. Yeah, it felt like. He's a great player. If you were going to give him that money, why couldn't you just give Kyle Oposo enough money to, to keep him around? He's younger. He's more of a goal scorer. I just. I look at the Islanders in a couple years ago. It was the year before Tavares got hurt in the Olympics. They seemed like a team that was really on the rise, and Oposo and Tavares were clicking, and they had other guys that were stepping in, filling some roles up front. And then, what, the, before last season? Was it last season or two seasons ago? They go out and they get Nick Letty and John, Johnny Boychuk. So you, yeah. you upgrade your defense. I mm-hmm. thought it really – Shrewd, shrewd yeah. moves. I was going to go with guys. savvy, but shrewd works too. Yeah. Savvy, shrewd move. By the way, what year did you say you thought DPHO's buyout expired? And no, it's not yeah. when I think. It's 2029. I'm looking at it. Oh, okay. I thought you said like 2040-something. That was my original guess. <laughs> it's 2029. Just, that's 13 years from now. He hasn't played in 13 when years. When is Bobby Bonilla's My screen just has an infinity sign. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Bobby Bonilla's contract expired. Uh, His payoffs. I, I About the same time? You can get a group on – where you pay off Bobby Bonilla and Rick DiPietro at the same time in uh, in New York. <sighs> they got to get well, we, we, as long as we're talking about where they're getting offense from. They they need I, they just resigned Ryan Stroman. They've got to get more from him. They, than they do. Have. That's the, the other Strom. The Coyotes are obviously hoping they they get plenty from their Strom. But Ryan Strom's got to deliver more than he has. And and he's, he was he's really getting, good a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Pa Parenthouse back. Yeah. Yeah, and he scored twenty goals last year for he's, Montreal. They're they're fine. Like, it's fine, Toronto. but no, nobody on that Toronto. team is really inspired. Outside of Tavares, nobody else is really all that exciting. But isn't that weird, though? I mean, d- didn't you feel like they were on more Until on the cusp two, two or three years ago, and then they add those pieces, and you're like, okay, well, here we go. This is a team. Then maybe they pass the Rangers. Maybe, maybe they don't contend for a cup, but they're, they're a team that's going to win playoff series. John Tavares almost won the Hart Trophy a couple years ago. I actually disagree. I think he is an elite number one center. But it doesn't really matter if you don't put enough around them. It just doesn't feel like their forward core right. has molded themselves around him and has progressed as he has. It feels like the forwards that are there are still feel the exact same way they did yeah. two, three years ago. And when you look at their cap situation, you don't know how they're going to fix that, right? No, I don't see it. Especially when you sign Andrew that. Ladd until 2023. I don't I, think they know either. Yeah, I, it, they don't have the pieces up front, and I don't think they have the wherewithal to do it. When you when you look at expiring contracts down the road, it's it's like two more seasons before – you even have a chance yeah. to tinker with that roster again. I think this team is just doomed to be good. Well, they did sign uh, Stephen Gianta to a professional tryout. Does that change anything for you yeah, guys? Yeah, uh, cup contenders now. Okay. <laughs> Where are they going to be playing, by the way? Where is this team going to be playing? You saw the, the Newsday report that they can trigger an out clause in, I, I believe, after two more seasons. Quebec's they can, oh, wait, they can leave reflex. Brooklyn. 
when I see the the phrase out clause, I just immediately uh, close yeah. the window. Yeah, that's not so. There's, there's, there's complications in that contract with Nassau Coliseum. They want to get a new arena built next to City Field or Belmont Park. There's all kinds of possibilities. This does sound like the Coyotes situation in many ways. Oh, all these options. What's going to happen with the Islanders? I can't believe the Barclays Center experiment didn't work. Who could have seen that coming? That guy who parks his car right next to the ice is going to be so upset when there's not a team there. That's just that's just going to be so inconvenient for him, whereas that for a while there it looked like it was going to be extremely convenient. Uh, I want to go back to the John Tavares discussion. For you don't want to talk arenas? Are we talking about arenas? Oh, we can. We want to talk about Gilbert arenas? All right, let's go back to John Tavares so Luke can make his case that he Where's belongs with Jonathan Taves and Sidney Crosby and... Kopitar and Jamie Ben. No, Jamie Ben is a wing. Luke, we're talking or, about uh, Tyler Sagan. Here. Tyler Sagan. Yeah. I didn't know what you were talking about. They were talking about elite forwards. It was nice to jump in on him like that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I want to finish I the apologize. arena talk now. No, I don't we apologize. We to good? Me. It's it's patronizing. I don't want to be apologized <laughs> to. Um, I, I, this is the case I would make for John Tavares very quickly. While you look up, you just said you wanted to go back to the arena talk. Yeah, but he's looking at something. I don't even know what it is. I'm back to my shopping list. <laughs> if John Tavares was on the St. Louis Blues, you would say he is an elite center, would you not? I don't think it's the team he's on. But but if you're I mean, talking splitting hairs. Okay, if you're talking about a we've we've as we've gone through these previews a number of times it's come up where this is a really good team, they could contend for a cup and Craig makes the very salient point that you have to have an elite number 1 center franchise center to actually win the Stanley Cup, not to be a contender to actually win it. So, I don't know, pick a team, maybe it's not St. Louis, but pick a team that you consider right there, but they're missing a franchise center. If you put John Tavares on that team, you would say, they've got their franchise center, they can win the Cup. I don't know what that team is, pick whoever you want, but I, here's the a, Capitals. Here's a, here's a case where we put... Uh, Capitals, that's a, that's a great example. Thank that's you. A, that's, that's a very interesting example. God, I admire you. How much better is John Tavares <laughs> than Nicholas Backstrom, though? I think he's better. They feel they can't see Jamie's eyes, eyebrows raising while he asks that question. Yeah, he raised off his head like a cartoon. <laughs> Just one eyebrow like a rock. <laughs> it's floating away. That was, it was John I, I think that, Here's the thing. I think to, if we want to – I know this is going to be the qual- – <laughs> No, go ahead. Try and hold it together while we demean you. I think this is where the qualifiers come in because is John Tavares the same elite center that Crosby or Taves or Kopitar are? No. No, but maybe those are the only three in that category. Who but else fits in that category? Put him in the Tyler Sagan class, where Tavares is probably better defensively, but Sagan's going to score more points. Do I you put him in the the Stamkos class. I I don't. But <laughs> wait, what? Jamie doesn't like the Stamkos I, class. I, no, I just I, I, I this want a center that does center things. Who, so who's in your who's in your who's in my five? very elite? Yeah, is I have to and, and again those guys you just mentioned the the. Crosby, Taves, Kopitar, those are the guys that have won cups. Okay, but like Evgeny Malkin is a guy who has won used a cup. To be. Used yes. to be in this list, on this list. And he's he won the Conn Smythe the year Pittsburgh won that cup, and there was a while where he was routinely putting up 100-point mm-hmm. seasons. He just doesn't stay on the ice enough anymore. When he plays well, they win. When, he, when he's not there, they're just not a complete team. But I guess to defend my stance on Tavares, we all seem to have different definitions of what an elite center is. So I would put him in the class of... If he's on a very good team that's a cup contender, you're not looking at it and saying, ah, they need a better center. He's good enough to win you a cup, but he's not good enough to win the Islanders a cup. I don't know if any of those guys you just listed is good enough to win the Islanders a cup. At least not right now. To me, it's Crosby, Taves, and Kopitar in the top three. Okay. And then I think you have another tier there where you have— McDavid there soon. Soon, but not quite there yet. You have another tier where you have Tavares, Malkin, Sagan. Sagan. 
not sure where Ryan Gensloff is anymore. But you could win a cup with Tavares. We agree on that. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Wow. That's interesting. Can you, if Tavares is your best player, can you win a cup? I'm not even Maybe. saying he's your best player. He probably oh, would he's be. He's a franchise center. He better Half be, right? Well, I mean, you could. I mean, look you at, could look at the blue line. There's, there's and say no goaltender in the league I would take over an elite center. Well, that's the other thing about the Islanders. We talked about Boychuk and Letty, but do they have a defenseman who you consider no an elite blue liner? They still have Travis Hamonic. But he's not yeah, in the league. It's staying now. No, it didn't. It answered a different question you haven't asked yet. But no, I'll go back to the Washington example. If John Tavares was on the Capitals, he's not your best player. Alex Ovechkin is. But to me, that's a center that you look at it and you say, well, center's not an issue. It's something else. It's I, defense. I'm still not or sure the gap between him and Nicholas Backstrom is that wide. Oh, I'm not saying anything bad about Nicholas Backstrom, but I just think that. I think he's an elite center. I just, I guess, I guess we're. We're getting hung, hung yeah. up on semantics here. Do yeah. I think he's in a class with the guys that Jamie just mentioned? No, I don't. But I do think he's in that class right below him. I really wish this was like one of those TV shows where we could bring John Tavares in from behind that door and be like, well, you know what, Craig? You don't think John Tavares is elite? Here he is. Hi, John. But it's not. <laughs> so, thanks, so, thanks for joining us. My, my daydream oh, just God. ended. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. There's patches again. <sighs> All right. Well, if that didn't uh, so we scare. Back to the arena the talk. Uh, it's not much of a Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not shocked that this Barclays thing didn't work out. What, and what's amazing to me, when, when I was looking at the, the newest arenas in the NHL, Barclays Center is the, well, I guess with uh, Vegas and Edmonton opening, it's the third newest arena in the NHL. Granted, it wasn't built entirely for the NHL, but when you look at that building, you, you don't think – when you look at Rogers Place in Edmonton that just opened, you're like, wow, the, the Vegas, T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, incredible facilities, right? Yeah, yeah. Console Energy Center in Pittsburgh, fantastic building. But then you look at the Barclays Center and, by the way, also Prudential Center where the, where the uh, New Jersey team plays, that, that Devils, the Devils team, a hockey team. Hey, you know that New Jersey team. <laughs> These are not arenas where you get excited what, what's up with the new york area well by the way? what's up with the tri-state area maybe it's cost you, you just yeah. simply can't afford to build a palace in that area but both of those arenas you go into them i had a road trip to new jersey just two seasons ago where i was sitting in the stands so, is that and you i came across the wounds yeah this is an the epic what? road trip the oh, that was, after, yeah that was you after i drove through newark yes i took <laughs> I, I was using Waze. great app by the way you should use this to get around and proud it, sponsor it, it of the show apparently through downtown Newark, past a I was parked at a stoplight, looked left at a medical care facility that included among its services wound care. Okay. Took a picture. I think I even tweeted that. But when we were at the Prue, and it, it, granted, this is the just... Prue. It, the Prue. There's nothing about that arena that, that, like that feels up. special, first of all. It just feels like a very basic well, arena. Well, because you were very close to the Devils, so nothing around that. Well, <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe wow. that, hey, it's got to match the personality of the Poor team. Taylor Hall, by the way. And yeah, while now. I was there, I, I think, I'm not certain it was never confirmed, but I think a sewage line probably backed up because... Not just Newark. It may have just been Newark. <laughs> you guys are It's quite possible that it was just Newark, but right. it smelled like, well, yeah. If you're from Newark, feel free to email Craig or Jamie at, uh, I don't know, you guys can throw out your emails whenever you want. Um, Where I was going with this is, you can't blame the Islanders saying, yeah, you know, I'd still like to have a nicer... Nicer home here. Well, it was really, built for basketball. Really, yeah, right? a place where people can see both nets. Yeah, that, you know, it's minimum a good required. start. Yeah, that's a good start for an NHL arena. But I don't know how all this plays out. It's a mess right now. It's an absolute mess. The one end of the ice just slowly melts into a basketball court. 
I mean, it's, it's just that's I, well, the actually, other, like, that right negative by, edge basketball. Court. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right by, right behind <laughs> one of those goals is like a, a small stand section, then like a restaurant, well, and then Jamie's a practice basketball court. Yes, I was on that practice basketball court. It's nice. Showing off your skills. Yeah, I believe the only podcast we have missed. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie. And then we did two a couple weeks ago, so we made up for it. But in the 52 weeks we've done the show, the only one we missed, you were at the Barclays Center. Yeah, look at that. So that's the Islanders kind of thing. Coyotes Islanders. How'd that go for you? Well, I was sitting right behind Andrew Barraway and Noah Syndergaard, of all people. Obviously. And now he's Took pitching. advantage of the nice all-you-can-eat buffet back there. Really good. How did you get in with that crowd? Don't worry about it. Okay. I'm I know a little worried about it. I know it's a guy. All right. Now that we've uh, – you two have insulted the Islanders. I, I apparently picked them to win everything. Were you ready to move on with uh, Mike Heike of the Dallas Stars? I think we should. Okay, please. All right, as we get ready to preview the uh, Dallas Stars as we head towards the start of the 2016-17 NHL season, we are joined by Mike Heike of the Dallas Morning News. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Heike, E-I-K-I. I I don't think anybody out there really knows more about the Dallas Stars than than Mr. Heike. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. It's always fun. There isn't anybody else covering the team. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny. I was on the other day up in, uh, on Sirius, and, and, you know, they're just like, uh, yeah, we forget about you down there. I'm like, yeah, hockey in Texas is not a big seller, but I think the stars are, are you know, going to become relevant again. Well, it's a pretty good team and a pretty fun team to watch. Uh, I guess a little bit of bad news to start the year, though. How, how concerned do we all need to be about Tyler Sagan's injury, and, and, and what's the feeling there that – he got hurt not even playing for the Stars. Um, I think that, they, you know, Jim Mill is very big on, on Team Canada. Uh, he has uh, been the GM for World Championships in the past, so he understands the risk involved. Uh, it's, a, it's a minor injury, I think, is what everybody believes. Uh, the hairline fracture, the heel. Uh, they won't say it, but I think they, they are pretty confident to be ready for the season opener. Uh, I'm not sure how much he'll play in the preseason, uh, but I think they, they think he's in pretty good shape. The biggest concern that I see is that's on his right foot, which is the same leg where he had a, an Achilles tendon severed uh, last March, which is the same leg where when he came back in the playoffs, he suffered some sort of calf injury. And, and this is a guy who's calling card is speed. And so if indeed that leg or any one of the three injuries becomes an issue that you know takes away some of the speed, I, I do think that's a big issue for the Stars. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right, Mike, let's talk a little bit about what happened in the offseason. There's this thread out there. I, I know you've answered this question 100 times already, but with the losses on the blue line, Alex Goligoski goes to Arizona. You, Jason Demers is gone. Maybe not Chris Russell. Um, <laughs> but how does it set them back on the blue line, if at all? Did the Stars' defense get worse over the summer, or is that not the way to, to view this? It's, it's a really good question. It's, it's worthy of debate is what it is. The Stars have some very good young defensemen in the system. And this is their step forward to say, we're moving forward in a different direction with bigger, stronger, more defensive defensemen. Um, it's interesting to look at the, the organization, is that you know the Stars as a team led the league in scoring in the NHL. The, I think the minor league team led the AHL. Uh, you look at their prospect team up in Traverse City, they were a big scoring team. But each one of them were also in the bottom ten in goals against and, and team defense. And so as much as they're a, a run-and-gun you know, team, they, they at some point in time are going to have to play better defense. And the thought is that these guys coming up, Essel Lindell, Stephen Johns, 
switching out Goligoski for Dan Hampton, uh, and then maybe giving opportunities to uh, Jamie Alexiak and Patrick Nemeth a little bit more. That will make them a bigger, better defensive team. Now, the, what you give up on that is, are those guys as good making the first pass? Are those guys as good skating the puck up ice, which Lindy Ruff really wants a, a defenseman to join the rush whenever he can. Uh, so then that's the transition. I think by the end of the season, I think they will be a better team. I think there could be growing pains in the process of trying to get that defense to, to find the balance of playing Lindy's run-gun game and you know, getting back and, and playing defense in front of the net. Kind of along the same lines, what do you make of the perception that instead of improving the blue line, the Stars went out and signed Yuri Hoodler? Um, well, I think because of the guys they have here, they actually they carried eight defensemen last year. They're going to carry eight again in the NHL. And I believe, well, I mean, depending on if you want to call Lindell's one-way contract or any of those things, but basically eight NHL defensemen, and, and they have Julius Honka knocking on the door. You know, I think he's ready to be an NHL player right now. Uh, so they, they thought that area was taken care of. And so the thing on Hoodler is that this just came out of nowhere, in my, in my opinion. Because basically now this gives them four guys who are very similar, if you ask me. Hoodler, Kemsky, Sharp, Eves, they're all under six foot. They're all under uh, 200 pounds. They're all over the age of 32. That's really similar. And, and, you know, when you look at a team and say, hey, maybe they're not that physical or maybe they're not that good defensively, and now you've got four older guys whose calling cards are all scoring goals, you know, maybe adding Yuri Hoodler was a little redundant. But the thought process is this is a guy who can score 25 goals, in fact, score 30, you know, playing on top line up in Calgary, and he only cost $2 million on a one-year deal. And I just don't think they could pass that up. And now with Val Matushkin going over to Russia – it actually looks like, uh, you know, Yuri Hoodler will step right in and, and probably get a chance to play with them instead. Mike, diving into that blue line just a little bit more, you mentioned a couple of the young talents that they're going to rely on. I, I also want to get your sense of the organizational view of, of Stephen Johns, a guy they got from the Blackhawks, uh, how much they can rely on young talent on the blue line this, this year. It's going to be an interesting uh, uh, situation just because Stephen Johns played so well. But at the same point in time, there are three or four other guys who want, want his minutes. And so, you know, it's, they set this up in, a, in a, a manner that seems smart in that, okay, all these young guys are going to be competing for top minutes. I mean, Stephen Johns, I think, walks in with the advantage that he played so well with Johnny Oduya last year that I think he's on the second pairing. I mean, I don't know how you, how you start out and, and put him anyplace else because they played so well together. But at the same point in time, here's Patrick Nemeth, and here's Jimmy Alexiak, and here's Essa Lindell, and they all want minutes as well. And so, you know, Lindy showed last year that the players who play better are going to get the minutes. He put Yerky Yokipaka in front of Nemeth and Alexiak, even though everybody in the organization says the upside of Alexiak and Nemeth is high. So Lindy's a win-now coach. He's going to, you know, put a guy out there and say, Go help me win. Well, Stephen Johns did that last year, especially in the playoffs. But if he doesn't do it this year, then does that mess with his mind? Because I think it did mess with the minds of Alexiak and Nemeth last year. So all of this goes to the young defensemen of, one, you're going to be put in a situation where you have great opportunity. But, two, if you don't succeed, you are going to have some mental issues dealing with the fact that 
you know, if your coach doesn't trust you, you may not be playing a lot. So all that, you know, is, is weighing in there. I think Stephen Johns is ahead of the game right now, uh, and Nemeth and Alexiak have to catch up. But if, at any point in time, like, you know, Alexiak and Nemeth saw with Yoki Paco last year, if one guy steps ahead, then you get pushed to the, to the scratch list, and you can stay on there for 10, 12, 15 games in a row. So that, that'll be the big issue for him. But I do think they trust him a lot. Mike, you mentioned Val Nachushkin, who's heading to the KHL now. He's got that, that blend of size and speed, but he hasn't been able to put it together at the NHL level just yet. When do you think we see him back in the NHL? And in your mind, what's been missing so far? That's a good question. Um, it's really hard because I can't talk to Val uh, because of the language barrier. I mean, I talked to him briefly, but the answers are very very cursory, and you don't really know what's going on in his mind. But then you go and read interviews that he does with Russian media, and it seems like he really just wasn't happy in Dallas. And so, you know, if you go and say, okay, he thought he should be playing 20 minutes on the, you know, on the first line and, and first power play, well then, you know, as a fan, you kind of get mad at him and say, look, you're a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid, go earn it. And so then that becomes the, the whole balance of, you know, was he working hard enough? Was he trying to earn it? Did, you know, is Lindy Ruff not a good coach with kids or with Russian players? Uh, you know, you got all that balance there of whose fault this is or why didn't this work. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think what we're going to find out is, you know, what what he does in Russia uh, will be determined upon his drive. Uh, I think he lost some drive down here because, you know, he didn't really have a good Russian support group and, and he was out there on, on an island by himself. Uh, so he, he certainly has talent. And then it becomes, can his mental outlook matches talent and we'll see in Russia and then it's two years I think minimum uh, before he comes back and I don't know my guess is he would come back with another team uh, just because I think there are a lot of good young forwards the stars have that are going to be pushing for the same minutes but but you never know on this stuff I mean I would guess he would come back with another team and the stars would trade his right uh, but we'll see do you think Jamie Benn is finally getting the national recognition that his level of play over the last few years dictates? Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's so – it's funny because this is what happened with Sergei Zuboff too. He downplays his own self so much, hates to talk about himself so much, that I think Zuboff lost you know, potential awards because nobody really talked about him because he didn't like to talk about himself. And Jamie was in that, that category for a little bit. Uh, but this guy has been a two-time first-team All-Star. Uh, he's the only first-team All-Star in the history of the Minnesota-Dallas organization. He's done it twice. Uh, so he's definitely starting to get recognition. Um, I think people who watch Team Canada uh, feel that he is indeed one of their better players when he plays for them, uh, and that him missing the World Cup, I mean, they'll still probably win, but, but I do think that they sit there and say, boy, we could sure use a Jamie Bed right now. So I definitely think he's starting to get the recognition. Um, you know, it, it took him a while, but, but he's 27 now, and he's got a nice window here and making $9.5 million starting next season. So, yeah, he's, I think he's becoming one of those very recognizable top 10, top 15 players in the league. All right, Mike, the million-dollar question, I think it's been asked the entire offseason. It was be- being asked all of last season. We should probably have, like, a cowbell or a, a bullhorn to go off when we ask this question. Yeah, that in later. Yeah. Is the answer in net on this roster right now? If not, what can the Stars really do about it? Do they have any flexibility whatsoever? It's a great question, and I don't know. And I don't know that Jim Nell knows. 
yes, they definitely can do something about it. Uh, there will be options out there, especially because of the fact there's going to be an expansion draft and every team can only protect one goalie. Uh, so as we get towards February, and let's say a team is drifting out of it, you know, if you have a goalie who's going to, you know, have to be, I mean, the, the biggest thing is if you have a goalie who's a good goalie, a veteran goalie, and you have a young goalie who has to be protected, a lot of teams will want to protect their young goalie. And so at that point in time, I think some good veteran goalies will be available in trade. And so then the question becomes, can the Stars make that work? I think their, their budget is such that they can make it work. Um, the fact that uh, both Miami and Letton's contracts will be down to one year starting next season makes them more tradable commodities. Uh, they could make that work. I think the Stars would have to probably eat some salary on, on one of their goalies going the other direction. Uh, but, yeah, I, I definitely think they could make it work in the trade. The question, I guess, that Jim has is, is could Miami or Lettman or the combination win in the playoffs? And while we all sit here and say, no, I don't think that's going to happen, it, it certainly could. I mean, we've seen goalies you know, come up out of nowhere, and we've seen teams win uh, when they don't have, quote-unquote, the best goalie in the league uh, on their team. So it's a possibility. I do think the odds are that they, they trade for a, a you know, goalie before the playoffs start. To your point, Antti Niemi won a cup with the Blackhawks, obviously. I, I guess the, the follow-up question then is, how much blame goes on the shoulders of these two goaltenders versus the team in front of them? It's, it's a really good question. Like I said earlier, I mean, if you look at the organization, at every level they're a, a, a bottom ten defensive team in goals against. So now is that, is that lack of goaltending? Is that poor defensive play? Is that a, a bad game plan? Uh, is this set up that you have to have a goalie who's just fantastic and, and you know, a Grant Fuhr type where even if he has a, a 2.90 goals against, he's making the big save at the big time? And all of that goes into it. Um, you go back to Game 6 and Game 7 against St. Louis. Game 6, Kari Lettman stood up and stole the game. That's He has that ability. He has that talent. He makes $6 million a year. He was a second overall pick. He has that ability. You turn around at Game 7 at home when it's you know a must-win, and he falls apart in the first two. So it, it's a really tough thing to answer because, all right, has Kari Lettman learned and become mentally tougher from all of these hardships? Or is he just a guy who can't handle the pressure? Same thing with Miami. Miami was given opportunities to knock Kari Lettman out of the out of the box last year, even in the playoffs, and he didn't seize those. So it's really hard. I mean, it's only really one year that the two goalie things been there together. I think it'll work in the regular season. I really do. I think they'll be one of the better teams, and, and I think the goaltending will actually be better. But it's a question of can you win in the playoffs with either of these guys. Mike, my last one for you. Uh, six unrestricted free agents, five RFAs after this upcoming season. Just about $4.5 million in cap space, roughly. Is is this the last time we see this version of the Stars? And I guess along those lines, is it kind of all in this year? No, I don't think it is. I think Jim has to set up really well. Um, the guys who come off the books next year or potentially come off the books, Sharp, Hemsky, that's $9 million right there. Um, so, you know, he has this set up so that when Jamie Benz's raise goes up, Sharp and Hemsky come off the books. When Tyler Sagan's due for a raise, Jason Spezza can come off the books. Or, if they really like it, they can re-sign a one-year deal for $2 million, like Yuri Hoodlund did. Uh, so I do believe he's got this set up really well, that if guys want to stay here, they can stay here on, on team-friendly deals. And that's kind of what Detroit did to keep 
keep their team together as they set that up where players were able to sacrifice a little bit of financial gain to, to stay in what they deemed a good organization. Uh, Jim Nill is trying to build, quote-unquote, that good organization that, that players will sacrifice for. Um, I think they're fine. Uh, I really do. Uh, but, again, you look, at, you look at this year's roster, I'm already looking at it, and there's like six guys from last year's team that are gone. Goligoski, I mean, key guys. And they're just gone. Juicy, gone. And so, you know, Jim is of the mind that you can roll forward as long as you build on that base of five or six key players that the people on the outside can, can change around and you can still be a really good team. So I think they believe the window's open for quite a bit of time. As long as Sagan and Ben are healthy and, and you know, they're 27 and 24, they should be doing pretty good. And as long as these good young defensemen play well, they're all 21, 22, 23. Uh, they think the, open, the window might be open for six, seven, ten years if, if they can do it the right way. Well, that's uh, Mike Heike of the Dallas Morning News. Mike, we appreciate the insight. Thanks for, so much for the time. Thank you, and thanks for the, the, having the show. It's a, it's a great show. Thanks, Mike. Well, I appreciate that, too. I would have thanked him for that as well if I knew he was going to say that. Uh, I'll tell you what, that is a really compelling team because I think we all agree talent-wise, especially up front, I don't know who can match their talent collectively up front. I mean, there's a couple teams, but there's not many. That's a forward group that is capable of hoisting the Stanley Cup. But the defense has question marks, but also upside. The goaltending has question marks and not really any upside. So it's it's that's a very intriguing team to watch this year. Yeah, I think we've all talked about this already. If, if Dallas can, in fact, solve that goaltending issue or... You know, it's funny. You mentioned Kari Lettinen. and I think it was just a few years ago, most of us talked about Kari Lettinen being one of the elite goaltenders in this league. In fact, during the, the Coyotes' run to the conference finals, a lot of people thought he was one of the very best goalies in the league. So he does have that ability. He hasn't shown it in a while, obviously. But if they can solve that, I just don't see another team in the West that can take this team down with the offensive firepower they have. They have to solve one of those two issues. Either they have to make their defensive core has to play so much better that it doesn't really matter if their goaltending is slightly below average because there are fewer shots they have to stop, or the goaltending has to make up for the fact that the defense is going to allow a ton of shots. If both of them continue like they did last year, it's going to be what makes Dallas a really good team, but not a team that actually wins it all. Is there a more fun team in the league to watch? Because you know Tampa Bay kind of reminds me of Dallas, except they have pretty good defense and pretty good goaltending. Whereas Dallas, like, they'll just come down and score six goals, but they'll give up five or vice versa. And that, just if you're trying to sell the game on TV to just a random sports fan that isn't really into hockey yet, have them watch the Dallas Stars because there's going to be goals. That And the, the two teams you just mentioned there would be just a fantastic cup final. I, I would love to see that matchup if uh, another certain team from the West can't make it, the one that you picked. I would love to see that matchup. The skating, the speed, the, the skill, that, that to me is what hockey should be. That would be a fantastic series to watch. But ironically, I think the only way, not the only way, but maybe the quickest way for Dallas to get there is to make a trade with Tampa for one of those goalies. And if you're Tampa, do you want to give a team like Dallas one of those goalies? Cup final storyline. Yeah. Oh, you don't want to see a, a Canucks-Devils? Stanley Cup final? That's not, not, uh, what's what's that's the not opposite, opposite of the no Stanley Cup? No chance of that yeah. happening. I'm quite confident on this September 21st, and yes, I did have to look up the date. Uh, I can I can say with a good amount of certainty we will not see a Devils Canucks Stanley Cup final this year or next year. I'll just go ahead and say I'll, I'll wow. go out on a limb. Really going out on a limb. Yeah, take that. Uh, any other things uh, stand out to you about the Dallas Stars? The, the Nichushkin situation is that's a tough one because he was one of those guys. I remember scouts saying he could come out of this draft, that 2013 draft. We could look back and say this was the steal of the draft. He might be the best player. He might have the best career. 
what is he, 6'3", 210, tons of speed. Played right away. Yeah, played right away and, and looked good. And then he had the injury, and he just now, you know, you hear Mike talk, he's probably never going to play another game for Dallas at least. I just, uh, when I look, I don't think that's going to hurt him, to be honest. No, it's not. You'd like to have him, but, but when, when you look at what they've got, yeah, again, their issues are elsewhere. It's You'd like to see a player like that in the NHL, but I didn't read any of those Russian interviews. How's your no. Russian? You know, it's getting better the more okay. I cover hockey. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's especially with Yuri Hudler in the mix, the forward's not an issue. We've talked about that a million times. Defense and goaltending will, be, will determine whether Dallas is just a playoff team or win the cup. The uh, hairline fracture on the same leg for Tyler Sagan. Mm. I could, I could mm. practically. I wasn't looking at Craig during the interview, but I could practically just envision the expression on your face because that's the third injury to that leg. It's in unrelated, six though. Yes, the third unrelated injury on the same leg. Yeah, that's that's a concern. You, that's that's that should be more of a concern than it's being made to be right now. But you know, you can understand them saying what they're saying, but. Well, Mike seems you can't to think, lose that piece, right? You cannot no. lose that piece. Obviously, no. they lost it last year, and they had no chance no. in the playoffs. There was no way they were going to the Cup Finals without him. And, and that's precisely the problem. Their defensive goaltending does not allow them much wiggle room. If their offense drops even a little bit, that's a completely different team. Well, and that's a huge drop. I mean, you could almost put him right on the same level as Jamie Benn if he could play a whole season. I mean, that's a prolific goal scorer in Sagan. But to Mike's point, they expect him back whether they're saying that openly or not for the start of the season, but he's a speed guy. And if he can't be a speed guy, then mm-hmm. then what is he? I mean, he's still a good player, but you, this team is structured around Jamie Benn being great and Tyler Sagan being great, not one being great and one being good. Yeah, he, so, he is. He, he, he is in that class of centers. that I do put him in that class of centers among the very elite, the guys that you need to win a cup, and you're right. If he's not 100%, that's a major concern for this team. We should do a, a list on one of these shows of who those centers are because it's weird that a couple of them are on the same team. So uh, impromptu Lipinski are. list right now. Go ahead. Well, okay. Jonathan Taves, Sidney Crosby. Malkin. Kopitar. Ben. Sagan. Is Getz still on that list? Getzloff? Uh, so John Tavares is. I'd put John Tavares there. Uh, McDavid could be eventually. McDavid will be. Yeah. So and, and maybe well, Austin Matthews isn't will there be. There are a couple different tiers in that. There's the the all around centers, and then there's the, the elite offensive centers that are so good that they're game changers. Yeah. You're not playing Tyler Sagan and Jonathan Taves in the same situations, but if Tyler Sagan's going to score 90, 95 points, right, that's going to have so much of an impact at the offensive end that it. Yeah, and then we get whatever he does to the debate you. of where do we put Steven Stamkos? Because if Jamie's in the room, I don't know that we On can necessarily put him. Sorry. <laughs> That's where I put him. But if Jamie wanders out there, then we have Stamkos starting in the middle. Uh, Jack Eichel maybe could be one down the line here, too. I mean, they're sort of banking on that in Buffalo. But there's not a lot of them. Nope. And, and really, we just rattle off Eichel, Matthews, and McDavid. Those guys probably all will be franchise centers, but it's rare to have three of them come up in two, two drafts back-to-back like that. And also, none of them have done it just yet, although, man, McDavid looks yeah, good. <laughs> McDavid's knocking on the door already. Yeah, he might Check back with us in like a month, and he might be at that level. Yeah. All right, so that was the Dallas Stars. We're going to wrap up the previews for today by talking to Jeremy Rutherford of the St. Louis Blues situation right now. All right, we continue our uh, summer series of team previews by looking at the St. Louis Blues now. We're joined by the utmost authority on the St. Louis Blues. I think most hockey fans already know Jeremy Rutherford, but if you don't, if you're one of the few people that's not following him on Twitter, uh, you should be. It's at JP Rutherford. He joins us now. Jeremy, thanks so much for the time this uh, this close to the start of training camp. Yeah, it's finally here and uh, getting excited. Uh, you know, everybody appreciates the offseason, the summer kind of a time to uh, relax but uh, I think this time of year everybody's itching to get the season started. 
Let's talk about that offseason because it was an interesting one for the Blues, Jeremy. Um, first and foremost, the parting with David Backus. How difficult was that? How, what did that mean to the organization, to the players in that locker room, and, and what's the fallout from it? Yeah, I think that was a, a big decision to let David Backus go to free agency and ultimately sign uh, with the Boston Bruins. Look, in St. Louis, this is something that has been uh, talked about for the better part of year. What would they do with David Backus, who had been the team's captain for the past five seasons until that Vladimir Tarasenko showed up, probably the, the face of the franchise. Uh, David Backus had turned 32 and, and has a lot of miles on him. Uh, I looked up his hits the other day in his career. He has over 2,000 hits. I, I believe he's been among the, the top uh, leaders in that department in the NHL for a number of years now, definitely top 10. And so uh, that was to be considered when you start thinking about giving a guy uh, who's 32 years old a five- or six-year contract. Uh, so the Blues made their pitch last year uh, before the camp started and offered uh, four years, uh, excuse me, uh, three years at $5.5 million per season, and David Backus uh, turned that down. The Blues did increase their offer to four years, but they couldn't match what Boston offered five years. Ultimately, he goes to the Bruins for that uh, five-year, $30 million deal, and now he moves on, and so the Blues are without uh, a guy who's been a big contributor for the past few years. I think there is a little bit of fallout. Uh, people here in St. Louis uh, don't think the team on paper looks as good as it was at the, uh, at the end of last season, uh, but I think uh, a lot of hockey people try to look at it uh, in terms of, you know, if you want to use the word analytics that it's tough to give a guy 32 years old uh, a five-year deal and realize that uh, you know he's going to take a tumble here in a couple years in terms of his production so uh, I, I think it is a big loss for the Blues but I think Doug Armstrong and the organization feel like they're still going in the right direction. So Jeremy I mean now you have to find a new captain you have Alex Peter Angelo who's, who's going to step into that role 26 years old so it's not like he's brand new to this league and obviously he has quite the history in St. Louis how do you think he handles that role, considering the uh, the shadow that, that David Backus maybe leaves behind? I think what, what's uh, good uh, for this situation is, is the fact that uh, Alex Petrangelo and David Backus are the closest of friends. They've been that way for a number of years. They do everything off the ice together. Uh, Alex Petrangelo just got married this past offseason, and David Backus was in the wedding. I think they have a lot of the same similarities, personalities. You know, They say what needs to be said, but they don't say the wrong thing in the locker room and so I think when uh, when David Backus decided to move on I'll recall a moment uh, he went to the uh, to the Cardinal game with Alex Petrangelo and kind of his wedding party and David Backus was interviewed on the local television station and uh, they asked him about a wedding gift for Alex Petrangelo and he said you know what I wish I could just wrap up the C the, the, the captaincy and <laughs> hand it over to Alex Petrangelo so uh, he, he acknowledged that he couldn't do that that was up to the team now that he's moved on uh, but I think the team made a wise choice in uh, handing that C over to Alex Petrangelo. He's a great player, logs a lot of ice time. He's 26, 27 minutes a game. And as I mentioned, I think he's in the mold of David Backus, which has been a good thing the past few years for the Blues. Uh, Jeremy, did this group take too many steps back this summer with the losses of Backus, Brower, and Elliott, and possibly Shattenkirk down the road? Yeah, I think you have to look at it and say on paper that it's a step back. There's no one, I don't believe, who can look at this roster and say that it's better than the group that went to the Western Conference Finals last year for the first time in, in 15 years. That was just a, 
a good team. It had a good mix of guys like David Backus, like Troy Brower, like Vladimir Tarasenko, and then you get into the Jaden Schwartz and, and Robbie Fabries, and uh, just a good mix of veterans and young up-and-coming players. Well, now they're going to turn it over to these young guys. I mean, Vladimir Tarasenko is, is obviously uh, the all-star type player, you know, the, the World Cup guy uh, and, and all that. He's the guy they're going to look to to score 40 goals. But now without a Bacchus and a Brower, you're really going to have to rely on guys like Fabry uh, to step up, like Colton Pareko uh, last year. Good young players. Uh, you can't have a sophomore slump with those guys. So I think they're putting a lot of weight. I still think that you have to let this team play and see what they look like. I, I think that there is potential here uh, for them to be better than people anticipate. But uh, like you said, I, I don't think anybody uh, can look at this group at the start of the season and say that it's not a step back in terms of personnel and, uh, and overall talent on the team after losing the players that they did. Jeremy, you mentioned the Western Conference final, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. that some of the outside perception that I heard was maybe the Blues – ran out of gas because they had to go they had to take such a tough route to get there the emotional win over Chicago getting past Dallas what was your thought on that series against San Jose I think a couple things I I think they did run out of gas I I do think the first couple rounds took a toll on them and you can point to the home record they weren't very good at home uh, throughout the regular season and it continued on into the playoffs so they lost a couple games to Chicago in the first round to Dallas in the second round on home ice that forced them to make another trip back to Chicago uh, and also Dallas. They played two Game 7s. That uh, Game 7 against Chicago in the first round, you talk about emotions, it goes down to the final few minutes before Troy Brower comes up with uh, the big goal against his old team and then sends the Blues to the second round. And then uh, Dallas, I think, was a little bit easier of a series than Chicago, but still, when you talk about going seven games, uh, you go the max for two rounds, it's going to take a toll. So I think this Blues team, the past few years, they've had trouble escaping the first round. Um, and now all of a sudden you find yourself playing deep into the third round. I think mentally, physically, it took a lot out of them. And, and look, San Jose, they deserve all the credit. They were playing uh, terrific hockey. That top line, especially with uh, Pavelski and Thornton, they were on fire in that series. I think they deserved to win the series. I don't know how much gas the Blues would have had left had they beaten San Jose and and got to Pittsburgh. A good season overall. I think people uh, liked what the Blues did, uh, but certainly uh, met their match against San Jose. Jeremy, we mentioned Kevin Shattenkirk. I mean, there's players like that aren't just available on the open market. Obviously, he has great value not only to the Blues but to a lot of other teams. Is your gut feeling that he'll still be on this roster when this upcoming season concludes? And if not, what do you think they can realistically expect in return for him? You know what? It's kind of fluid. I spoke with Kevin uh, a day or so ago just about putting the rumors behind them, the fact that uh, the Blues acknowledged they were trying to trade him, and Doug Armstrong even said at the draft he just didn't feel like the return was what he was expecting, so therefore they were putting it on hold. So this is, you know, it's out there. Everybody's familiar with the situation that the Blues are trying to move. Kevin Shattenkirk, he's entering the final year of his contract, and, and look, his salary's going to go up. He's, uh, he's at about $4.5 million now cap-wise, and he's a guy that's going to get I, I think between six and seven million dollars a year on his next contract with the points that he's put up. He's, you know, for all we say about Alex Petrangelo, Kevin Shattenkirk is the number one guy quarterbacking the uh, the power play. So that's a, a type of player that teams covet. So where does it stand right now? I think it's on hold. The Blues, first and foremost, know that they can't lose another player, uh, a key asset 
to free agency. Look, they, they've lost uh, David Backus and Troy Brower this past year for nothing, and they're not going to let that happen with Kevin Shattenkirk. I think that's why they've kind of entertained the idea for the better part of a year now uh, about trading him. So you look, what are they trying to get for him? I think you go back to the draft, and had they known David Backus and Troy Brower would be back, I think they would have traded Kevin Shattenkirk for uh, picks, prospects, a chance to move up in the draft. I, I think it would have been non-roster type players. Uh, but now that Backus and Brower are gone, I think that the focus has uh, remained on keeping them. You know, if nothing's out there, but what they're looking for is an established forward to come help them up front. Taylor Hall, I think, was a guy that they coveted, but uh, Shattenkirk wouldn't sign the extension in Edmonton, so that nicks that deal. And so now he starts camp with the Blues. He's hoping to stay here, he says, for the entire year. I just don't see how the Blues can do that if they don't have him signed. They're going to have to move him. And then I guess when does that happen, Jeremy? Is, is, was the belief that his value might have been higher in the summer than it will be at the trade deadline? What, what's the thinking there? Yeah, I, I guess you could say that, but I do think, uh, you know, barring a major slip in play, uh, I think his value will continue to be high. I mean, you, you just read, uh, you read the Internet, you read the blogs, and people, um, you know, say that the Blues are hogging all the right-side defensemen when you talk about Petrangelo and Shattenkirk and, and Colton Pareko. So, you know, I think those guys are guys that uh, you're always going to covet. I think that if uh, Shattenkirk gets out to the start that, you know, the, the way he's played uh, the past several years, and he is still on the market. I think teams will still pony up as much today as, as they would back at the draft. Obviously, draft picks uh, aren't as attractive, um, you know, in November, in December, as they are three hours before the draft, you know, but I, I still think that the Blues would get a pretty good return on Kevin Shattenkirk. But now, uh, like I said, I, I think it comes down to a situation where uh, the Blues are going to need some help up front, and if that means losing a Kevin Shattenkirk and moving up a guy like Colton Pareko to help yourself up front, I think the Blues are going to have to do that. The Blues are also going to have to rely a lot on Jake Allen this season, but he's never started more than 44 games in a season. Is he ready to be the guy? I think he is. I think he was ready to be the guy last year. Uh, you know, People who maybe didn't watch the Blues every night saw that uh, Brian Elliott played a lot and that uh, he was the guy in the playoffs and now he's moved on and and, you know, folks wonder, um, is uh, Jake Allen ready? But people who did watch every night know that, that uh, Jake Allen last year, he started for, uh, 26 of the first 41 games of the season. He was the guy. They had made that decision internally that they were going to ride Jake Allen. Uh, it wasn't until he suffered that knee injury of January 8th out in Anaheim when they turned to Brian Elliott. And Brian Elliott just didn't fill in. He went 18-4 and two uh, the rest of the regular season. He had a knee injury himself, and that kind of interrupted that run. But Brian Elliott, again, 18-4-2, he had 11 straight wins in that stretch. He had three consecutive shutouts. To me, he was the best goalie in hockey uh, towards the end of the season. So it was an absolute no-brainer, even though Jake Allen uh, you know, was relatively healthy, to go with uh, Brian Elliott for the playoffs. And he, he had a good run. So uh, Jake Allen kind of fell on the back burner, but uh, I think uh, what we saw last year uh, for, for that stretch that he played all those games, he was making highlight reel saves. Uh, he's ready to be the guy. He put the time in the American Hockey League five seasons. He, he's bide his time here uh, the first uh, few years in St. Louis, and, and I think now that uh, he doesn't have Brian Elliott alongside of him, I still think he's in really good shape to be a, a quality number one guy who can start 
you know, 50, 55 games. Jeremy, what did you see out of Robbie Fabry last year? Really solid rookie season. And then, you know, other than Tarasenko, there were times where he looked like the best player on the team in the playoffs. I think he was the best player on the team forward-wise uh, in the playoffs um, uh, for, for many games. I think Robbie Fabry has been, I don't want to say a big surprise because it's a first-round pick, so he can't be too much of a surprise. But, you know, he was, what, number 21 overall. So usually you look to guys in that top five, maybe even top ten, who can contribute at, at, at an early age when you're talking about 18, 19 years old. He's a guy who almost made the team that first year uh, before he had the injury in camp and they had to send him back to junior hockey. Uh, but then he came back again and, and looked terrific. Uh, he's just got a combination of a lot of things that you're looking for in today's game. He's got the skill for, I think, what's an undersized forward. Uh, he's tenacious. He goes to the net. He, he does all the good things. You know, the, the fear in St. Louis, as I mentioned earlier, is that uh, you have a sophomore slump. You know, you get your numbers circled on the uh, opposing dressing room uh, dry erase board. Uh, so so they're going to be game planning for Robbie Fabry this year. Uh, but I think what he showed during the regular season last year was terrific, and the fact that he was able to keep it up and maintain it and be one of the team's top players in the postseason, I, I think was a real good sign for the Blues. Well, what's the latest with Vladimir Sabatka's attempt to negotiate his way out of the KHL? Yeah, and that ties in kind of with what I was saying about Kevin Shattenkirk earlier. You know, they're going to turn this thing over to a younger group of forwards, and they were hoping that Vladimir Sabotka at 29, and he's familiar with uh, the Blues, and Blues fans are aware of what he can do. Uh, it's a big thing to kind of get him in here. I know that people kind of look at it and say, hey, what, you know, big deal. It's a third, fourth line forward. Well, they'd like him to play with uh, Jaden Schwartz, so they have bigger plans for uh, Vladimir Sabotka than I think most people uh, think. So that's why if Saboka doesn't show up that we might have to see uh, a trade involving Kevin Shattenkirk sooner, uh, perhaps earlier in the season than, than late towards the, uh, the trade deadline. As far as Saboka goes, the latest is this. He's in Toronto right now for the World Cup. He's competing with the Czech Republic, and Doug Armstrong hopes and believes that uh, when the tournament's over, he's going to jump on a plane and, and fly to St. Louis and be part of training camp starting on Saturday. That's what the agent, Peter Sabota. Uh, and Saboka have told him for many months. But as we know, uh, as we've been reading some headlines in Russia, uh, the KHL, his team there, uh, Avangard, they say that uh, he has a contract there and, and he's not yet out of it. And uh, so they need to uh, fulfill the requirements, I think, reading between the lines. That obviously means uh, paying a fee, uh, paying uh, some money to get out of the final year of that contract, third year of the contract, which would allow him to come to St. Louis. So it hasn't happened yet and uh, people here in St. Louis are just kind of waiting to see what will happen after the Czech Republic is eliminated, whether Vladimir Saboka shows up at Lambert Airport in St. Louis. That's what they're hoping. All right, Jeremy, last question from us. I, I wanted to ask you about the addition of Mike Yo. you know, waiting in the on-deck circle as Ken Hitchcock's replacement. Um, what do they like about Yo? And I, w I wanted you to maybe reflect a little bit on this arrangement as well. We don't see this very often. There, there can be coaches and systems that you – you think will be a replacement at some point, but very seldom do franchises state it so plainly that this guy is going to be the replacement. Yeah, no, that's a good question, and I think we don't see it, so I think uh, we're just kind of feeling our way through on, on how it's going to work. Uh, the one thing I will point out, and perhaps the reason we are seeing it, is because uh, in 2010, uh, the Blues were looking for a successor for Larry Plow, the general manager, at the time, and they brought Doug Armstrong in, 
and made him the GM in waiting. They announced it. It wasn't a situation like you just spoke of that uh, you just kind of assume a guy might be taking over uh, when they move on. This was a situation where they said Doug Armstrong will be the guy in two years. So he was able to get his feet wet with the organization. He was able to, to put names with faces and, and do all that. And so uh, when Ken Hitchcock announced that this would be his final year, the team announced that, uh, we asked Doug Armstrong about the uh, potential of a coach in waiting. He said that's a very likely scenario. And it was about two weeks later that they named Mike Yo that coach in waiting. Doug Armstrong kind of had his eye on him. In terms of what they uh, liked about him, I think two things. One, it's his age. Uh, he's early 40s. Uh, you know, you got a coach uh, in Ken Hitchcock who will be 65 in December. I think this is a younger team. They'd like to turn it over to a younger guy. And then secondly, uh, with Mike Joe, I think Doug Armstrong believes a lot of coaches are better the second time through. you got a lot of these hotshot young coaches who do well in the American League, and then they bring them up and – you know, maybe they just don't figure it out with that first job. But Mike Yost spent five years in Minnesota, you know, got the team to the playoffs, and, and did a pretty good job. Uh, it just didn't work out. So he's learned a few things, and he's going to learn even more uh, sitting in an office with Ken Hitchcock for a full season. So these guys had been adversaries. They had a playoff series a couple of years ago. You know, I vividly remember, you know, off-the-record conversations with Ken Hitchcock, you know, in his office where, you know, you walked away knowing that he did not like Mike Yo, And so... I didn't think he was a chance uh, to, to be a coach in waiting here, but um, obviously that's just uh, two guys competing. But Ken Hitchcock loves him. He says he can't wait for uh, these guys to get the season started and work together. So I think that's what Doug Armstrong saw is the chance for Mike Yo to come in here and really get his feet wet and not have the responsibilities of a head coach that will have a year from now and just kind of learn the organization. It's Jeremy Rutherford of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch uh, Great stuff as always, Jeremy. Thanks so much for the time. Yep, thank you. That's uh, that's interesting. That last little bit there with with sort of the rivalry or the competitive rivalry, I guess, between uh, Ken Hitchcock and Mike Yo. Because you're right, Craig. You just you never see a situation like this, or you rarely see a situation like this where Ken Hitchcock's going into this season as the coach of a team that still has Stanley Cup aspirations, whether they're realistic at this point or not. I mean, we're we're going to see over the next few months, but it's got to be tough to hold on to that room with your successor standing right <laughs> next to you. I mean, if, if they start slow, aren't guys going to just want to hear what Mike Yo has to say? Because they know he's going to be there next year. Yeah, yeah what's, exactly. What do you have to answer for, at least when it comes to Ken Hitchcock? But interesting arrangement. You know, it got me thinking. We're not going to replace Jamie. You know, sometimes. Oh, it, what, okay. Uh, wow. Okay, okay, well, you just cut that whole thought <laughs> off then. I guess I'll just stop. What, what, what I was Sorry. actually thinking. <laughs> How, this doesn't happen very often, obviously, but the idea of having an apprentice is an interesting approach. So often, when, like Jeremy said, when coaches come up from the A or they come in inexperienced and they don't have that success in the first job, it's almost like they get written off. Oh, he's, he's not a good coach. Why would you give that guy a second chance? Well, of course he learned something in those few years that he wasn't succeeding, Yeah, and he can apply that in his next job. So it, it's, it's a really interesting thought process in that regard, and it's also... I think a great idea to have him sit under a very experienced NHL coach who's had success, learn all he can from him for a year, and then take over. It's, it's almost like a, a process that used to be used in, in labor. I, I know I'm going far afield here, but you remember when we, when we used to have apprentices? 
And the idea of learning on the job so you don't get thrown into the fire immediately, I think it's a really good idea. I remember so, the TV show okay. called The Apprentice, yes. which I didn't watch. I was born in the 1800s. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, you talk about how it's, it's different and how there are ways it could backfire, but there's also ways it really could work, which I think you know, Jeremy kind of pointed out. We don't know how this is going to work. We're going to see. Because I guess on the flip side, yeah, maybe the players could be more likely to quit on Ken Hitchcock, but they can't quit completely because their next coach is already in the room. So it's not like the you apprentice. just... <laughs> I'm sorry, The Apprentice. That's his <laughs> nickname on the show now, by the way. They can't just say like, okay, well, we know Hitchcock's not going to be back next year anyway. This season's lost or whatever if they got to that point somehow because their next coach is already right there. So the guy they're going to have to answer to in 2017 is already in the room. Yeah, I mean, that, that creates an interesting dynamic between on the, on the good side for the team... Like you said, they can't necessarily quit because the guy is in the same room. He's watching the same film. He's the one that's telling you what you're doing right and wrong. The downside, if this team struggles, which I think they good chance that they might struggle at some point considering all the players that they lost, do they start trying to appease to what Mike Yo might like versus what Ken Hitchcock might like, knowing that really we'll, one coach might only be there for the next two months or so. So, And then at that the point, side. does somebody walk up to them and say, the student has become the teacher, and then they just leave? Ah, see, there you go. See that? Yeah. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk. Is a police song about that? Sorry. Probably. I don't yeah. know. They wrote a song about everything, didn't they? The you know, I, I was part of the Writers Guild at one point. There was something called the Writers Guild. Maybe you guys have heard of it. Oh. Maybe not. Were you? Yeah. I, I know the Screen Actors Guild. Were you part of that? No. No? Okay. Uh, Kevin Shattenkirk, I think, is, is the, the biggest story following St. Louis this year, other than, as, as you guys have pointed out, I mean, they lost a lot of players, and they're in the Central Division, so it's very possible they take a step back. But Shattenkirk, they're just – those, those players, those right-handed defensemen that can move the puck and produce mm. offense, a quarterback, a power play, and play defense, I, I understand why St. Louis may have to move him because you can't let him go for nothing. Well, and you also you already have Petrangelo and Colton Pareko on the right side, so somebody's got to play third-pairing minutes out of those guys, and that just it's not gonna happen. It doesn't yeah. work. I mean, so. It's the exact opposite of what we talk about all the time with the Arizona Coyotes. You, you might have a – Kevin Shankert's more established than a lot of their young forwards, but at some point you have to have somebody that plays defense, and it's nice that you have all these forwards. It's nice that they have all these right-handed defensemen, but at some point, instead of having one of those guys play third-pairing minutes, you need somebody that can help your top six. That's what your GM calls assets. It seems like, a, a, like Jamie's playing matchmaker here with – one team that has something a different team needs, and vice versa. And Since look, you mentioned the Coyotes. Everybody could come away from this happy. I just, we just named the show Everything Goes Back to the Coyotes. Pretty much, yeah. Here we are, back at the Coyotes. The, the question, again, will, will Doug Armstrong's asking price come down for Kevin Shattenkirk? You know, we, we heard, well, there's a report out of Detroit that they had asked for Dylan Larkin. Which in is return, absurd. And you, you hear Taylor Hall, okay, you, you, you get those. Well, apparently Hall you could well, get. Yeah, yeah, Hall. yeah well. So I guess that's why you asked. Yes, but they probably should have offered something less for him. We ask anybody else but Shirelli. We have this other defenseman on our roster. He is a defenseman. He can come play for your hockey team in Edmonton. Would that help? Going Sold. back to that, that's yeah. People yeah. don't even get that, do they? Uh-huh. That's that's like one of those inside jokes that we should probably just cut out of the show. No, I think we should actually <laughs> no, it all in. increase the volume of but that specific sentence. Does the asking price come down at some point? If if that's how high it is, and, and if you're d- talking about the Phoenix or the Arizona Coyotes, oh, wow! I, I, went, I, I didn't right. get it all the way out. 2013 so. is here. Sorry, clink. <laughs> what is it the Coyotes Never. would have to give up? If you're talking about players of that caliber, are they are they asking for a Max Domi? Are they asking for? 
that caliber of player. Well, they can ask for whatever they want right yeah. now, but they in two the months player. they're going to really have to consider it. Because that's, that's what I'm saying. I'd be too. shocked if this is a cup contender. Maybe they're hanging around the wild card picture because they have enough talented pieces. But as Jeremy said, there's no way anybody can look at this team and say this is a better team than it was last year. Mm-hmm. I think at some point they're going to have to be able to take what they get. If, if they're adamant that we can't let Shattenkirk go for nothing, at some point, this is not a Stamkos situation where they thought they had a realistic shot to re-sign him. Right. They have to get an asset back. They and then it to. becomes – the thing about the trade deadline, though, is if you're, dealing with, if you're dealing with a team that wants to make the playoffs, they're not looking to give up a toxic sport at that point of the year. And that's why I was asking him about, you know, could you have gotten more in the summer – then you might get at the trade deadline. Now, if you're dealing with a team that's still thinking we're building, that might be a better situation. And again, you can think of the Coyotes in that situation as maybe a good fit for the Blues. But it does seem to limit your market somewhat when you get to the trade deadline. Absolutely. Limit your market. Cap consideration then comes more into play than it would have before. I, I don't see a scenario where, again, I, I get why they want – you ask for the moon because you never know. Occasionally you can get Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. But otherwise, unless you're dealing with Shirelli as a oh. – Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. Take, take a shot, Shirley nice. reference. But at some point, they're just going to have to take something. And it's going to – it might have to be a younger guy that's maybe not established but has been playing NHL minutes for about a year or two, year and a half. Well, that's, that's what's kind of interesting. I mean, Jeremy was saying that, you know, at, at the draft last year, if they knew exactly how this roster was going to look, maybe they would have dealt him for non-roster players. Now they're going to want more of an established forward. And that makes sense, but in terms of what they can actually get back, they may have to settle for non-roster players as you get closer to the deadline. I mean, look, Kevin Shattenkirk should have a ton of value, so they shouldn't have to come down on their asking price you know, to a ridiculous level. But if they started with Dylan Larkin, yes, they're going to have to come down a little bit. But I would be concerned as you wait closer and closer to the trade deadline, you lose all your leverage. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you may have to come down more than you really should. Yeah, they're going to be a playoff team, I think, or they're, at least when the trade deadline hits, they're going to be right in the thick of playoff contention. So it's going to be really tough to say, now we're going to trade them. If you're going to trade them, I'd be doing it right now. Well, I, here's, I kind of would too. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, here's the established player problem. If you wait to the deadline and you want an established forward, well, the team that's going to trade for Shattenkirk is probably a playoff contender that's not really looking to move an established forward off of their roster. I mean, I, I don't see that fit happening. The, the longer this goes on, the less it favors what St. Louis wants to get in return. Losing Bacchus, it, I know I always go back to this, but we're beating this drum again for the center position. When you look at the St. Louis Blues center position now, you, everybody has to move up a notch now. Again, as we're talking about this team not probably not being a cup contender, when you look at that position now, how do you feel about the Blues heading into the season, especially when you consider the division they play in? I, I still... I... I had this conversation with somebody last night in the press box. It's, I, I don't want to write the Blues off by any means. They're still a very talented team. Yes, they lost Brian Elliott, but you can feasibly replace him with Jake Allen. Yes, you lost, you know, you, you lose David Backus. You can't replace him with Robbie Fabry, but Robbie Fabry feasibly will be even better this year. They're not, they didn't just lose three players with nothing else. So I, I don't think they're just out of it. But somebody's going to have to drop out of the top eight because somebody always does. And the division they're in and the losses they have make them one of the top candidates to do that, which. It's crazy considering what they did in the playoffs last year. Do they have a number one center? A true and number one center? No. If, if we ever do... I mean, I don't even know if David Backus was that. He was just like a cut below that maybe because of the offense. Yeah. But do they have one now that can fit that role? Can be a Jonathan Taves, a, a, a Kopitar, a, a Getzloff, a, a Sagan? No. Yeah. But, I mean, again, like five teams have those, really. Five or six teams. There's just, just not that many. 
Yeah, it including just, your Pittsburgh Penguins. That's right. Yeah, but you I mean you look down the they middle and it doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence. Again, I think they're going to hang around the wild card picture, but I think if you're t- looking at St. Louis right now. You're talking about whether they're a cup contender or not, and I don't think they are. I mean, they, they took their best shot and they missed, and that team is significantly worse than it was last year. I don't expect them to be in the conversation for the number one pick. No, because I mean, Jaden Schwartz will be back too, and he's usually good for. They have, they have too many good pieces to not be relevant. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a cup contender. Uh, before we wrap up, what are we talking about next week? We, the next week's the last week of the previews, correct? It is the last week of the previews. It's funny you should mention that. <laughs> it's quite hilarious. <laughs> this is how I stall until I can open <laughs> yeah. the file and actually the is, remind myself what we're talking about. At least you got rid of that there, clown all right. last week. We're going to talk Toronto Maple Leafs with the Globe and Mail's James Myrtle. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. We're going to talk Buffalo Sabres with Joe Yurden of NHL.com. And then we're going to talk two other teams to wrap this up. Because we added Las Vegas into the mix and threw everything off, we're going to talk about the Bruins. Jamie loves talking I about the Bruins. I think we should close the whole series with the Bruins. And then we're going to talk about the Calgary Flames. Okay. At some point, we'll get B on as well to yeah, talk absolutely. about the Flames. The general manager, known to us as B. B. Known to Craig as B. Known to the rest of us as Brad. And known to America and Canada as Brad Tree Living. All right, so that's going to do it for us. This was uh, episode 52. We'll come back with the final previews next week. For Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.